Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Well, good morning. Man, there is, uh, I was just sitting over there, there's a sweet spirit in here today. Amen. Glad that you're here. I'm very, it's just thrilled to see you all here today. You know, today is a big day in the history of Life Church because, as Matt said, right now, this very morning, about 20 miles south, uh, we're having the very first official church service of Life Church Carson City. So that's a big deal. And I know God's going to do some just amazing things through that work, just like He's doing here. And uh, just excited to be a part of it. Let's jump in this morning. Um, you know, if you look throughout American history, what you'll find is that there are these handful of really prominent, important families that kind of help shape our nation. And these were families that, you know, they, they carried so much weight that if like you were in that family tree, if you carried that last name, that meant your life was gonna be radically different than the average person's. I think of families um, like in business and industry, like the Vanderbilts, the Rockefellers, the Fords. There were families in politics like the Roosevelts, the Kennedys, the Bushes. You know, you had George Sr., then you had George W., and then uh, Jeb, who was also a, a governor of the state of Florida. Then in sports, you had families like the Mannings, Archie Manning, a famous uh, NFL quarterback for the New Orleans Saints in the 70s. And then he had two sons, Peyton and Eli, that also became NFL quarterbacks. And then his grandson, Arch, uh, is now playing quarterback for the University of Texas, Hook'em Horns. Um, then you have pop culture. You got families like, I don't know if these are as positive, but you got families like the Kardashians, yeah, if you're a part of that family, your life is going to be radically different. Um, and then I don't know if anybody saw that Netflix special on the Murdoch murders. And man, you have this family that was like generations of lawyers and DAs in South Carolina, and they just got away with all kinds of nonsense. But these are families that if you were a part of that family tree, your life was going to be different. Uh, I even think of my, my own, my wife's family. Um, her grandfather, on, on a much smaller scale, but he was kind of this like Billy Graham figure in the small towns of North and South Carolina. And uh, as a result, her dad, Mia's dad's a pastor. Um, tons of her uncles were pastors. A lot of her cousins are pastors. And if you had the name Madaris in rural North Carolina, that kind of meant something. My family, not so much, I tell you. You go through my family tree, you'll find a bunch of poor cotton farmers. And they just weren't even poor farmers, they were sharecroppers. That's like the worst version of farming. Because you still have to do all the terrible work, you have the same hard life, but you don't even own the land that you're farming. I'm like, really guys? I look through my family tree, and I'm just like, really? Nothing, got nothing. The car name means absolutely nothing in Southeast Texas. But really, if you go 
And look all throughout human history, really to the beginning of time, family genealogy carried a great deal of importance from ancient dynasties to medieval kings and queens to even like the class system that you see in other countries like India, and it really even like how we get our surnames, our last names. You know, if your name is Johnson, think about it, John's son. But even how we get our, our last names, our lineage used to really define us, and it really used to set the course for your whole life and it really wasn't until the last probably 100 years or so that we saw that change. I heard a sociologist this week as I was studying say that we live today in a rootless culture, a rootless culture, where we're no longer defined by where we come from. Instead, we're kind of more defined by what we achieve. And today, there's like a little bit of kind of a detachment from our family origin or our heritage. And I think that's the reason why there's this like recent rise in, in popularity of like DNA testing and ancestry, right? There's these companies like 23andMe, Ancestry.com, MyHeritage.com. These companies are like blowing up because there's people who are like desperately trying to discover where they come from. But for most of history, Man, your family tree was central to your life, and especially in ancient and biblical times. You know, today we're kicking off a Christmas series called Home for Christmas, but we're gonna do it in a kind of an unusual way today. We're gonna be actually looking at the genealogy of Jesus, his family tree. We're gonna be taking a look at that found in Matthew chapter one, but before we jump into it, I need to give you a little bit of context because I think it's important. Now, Matthew was one of the 12 disciples. He was uh, a tax collector, former tax collector. Um, and most, like most tax collectors of that day, they would usually tax people, skim off the top, and they were very wealthy people themselves, but they were also really despised. They were not, people were not a big fan of the tax guys. Kind of like we view the IRS today, it's really no different. But Matthew was a tax collector, but Luke tells us that Matthew left a great deal of wealth and just left that life behind to follow Jesus. And Matthew, in about 50 AD, wrote this gospel account. And he's writing this, this is what's important for us to remember. He's writing this, the book of Matthew is written to the Jews to convince them that Jesus was the Messiah who had been prophesied about. And so what you'll see in the book of Matthew is that he refers to the Old Testament more than any other New Testament writer. So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna to turn to Matthew chapter one, verse one. Now I'll be honest, uh, for me, the book of Matthew really started at verse 18. And for years, I just completely ignored the first 17 verses of Matthew. And when you see these names here in a second, you'll understand why. But I've come to realize, especially even this week studying this, that these first 17 verses in the book of Matthew are very, very important to us for a couple of reasons. Number one, they fulfill messianic prophecy. 
You see, for Jesus to be the Messiah, he couldn't just drop out of the sky. He couldn't just appear. He had to come from a particular family line that had been prophesied about. And the second reason we see this, these first 17 verses, the reason why they're so important to us is because when you see these list of names, there's a very valuable, important lesson for you and me today in 2023. And I'm gonna unpack that here in just a bit. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew 1, verse 1, let's jump into this. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now I'm gonna pause right there. So Matthew starts out right out of the gate. He calls Jesus the son of David and the son of Abraham. And when Matthew calls him the son of David, what he's doing is he's referring to this promise that God made David all the way back in 1 Chronicles 17, verse 11. This is what it says. This is God talking to David. It says, when your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to secede you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. So Matthew calls Jesus the son of David, but he also calls him the son of Abraham, referring to the covenant God made with Abraham back in Genesis 12, verse one. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land which I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And as I said earlier, Matthew's writing this to the Jewish people, and the the people that he's writing to were very, very familiar. They knew these promises and these covenants like the back of their hand. They knew these passages of scripture, and so right out of the gate, Matthew says, listen, it is Jesus who's gonna reign forever, and it is Jesus who's gonna bless all the nations. Let's keep reading, verse two. Now, this is where we're about to get into this list of names, and I apologize in advance for the butchery of the enunciation of these names. Not only am I uh, not fluent in Hebrew, I'm also from the South, which puts me at a disadvantage when it comes to enunciation. So, here we go. Matthew 2, take a big breath. Abram, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the king, the father of King David. Whew. Okay, let's keep going. Now you see why no one ever, like, this passage of scripture gets completely ignored most of the time. Here we go, Dave, verse seven. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, 
Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. All right. We got one more, and they saved the best for last. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Yeah. If you're looking for a name for your, for your kids, some refer to this passage. There's some good ones in there. <clears throat> but this list here in Matthew 1, these names, these are... This is basically, it's the family tree of Joseph, Jesus' adoptive father. Now you'll find, you can find the, the family tree, the lineage of Mary in the book of Luke, but here in Matthew, it's the family tree, it's the family line of Joseph, who wasn't Jesus' biological father, but his legal father, right? If you know the Christmas story, you know Jesus was miraculously born of the Virgin Mary, so her and Joseph had not been married, had never been together, so she was a virgin and gave, miraculously gave, became pregnant and gave birth to Jesus. So Joseph became Jesus' adoptive father. And you say, well, why is that important? Well, this is cool. There's a passage of scripture from the Old Testament that we see around this time of year. We'll see it on Christmas cards, we'll see it read in church, and it's Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, and it says, for to us a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So, for unto us a child is born, and that translates to exactly what you think, physical birth. For unto us a son is given. That word given can be translated to adopted. And get this, this was written hundreds of years before Jesus in the Old Testament, but get this, through Mary, Jesus was born, but through Joseph, Jesus was adopted. And you see this fulfillment of this prophecy and many other Old Testament prophecies through this family line. But it's important to note that this list of names here of Joseph's family, it's not a comprehensive one because you'll probably hear that some people who try to discredit the Bible push back on that. They're always like, well, there's a couple of names left out couple of generations left out. And this is not a comprehensive list of Joseph's family, it's just a selective list. And Matthew does that whole 14, 14, 14 thing. Because remember, he's like a numbers guy. And so he tried to make it real nice and tidy and easy to remember. But the names that Matthew includes on this list, here's the deal, you may be thinking, what a weird passage to be talking about on church. But this list of names, is an incredibly powerful statement of God's grace, God's mercy, and God's forgiveness. 
You see, you think that God would have chosen people of honor. He would have chosen people of integrity. He would have chosen people of importance, people of prominence, maybe even kind of people of royalty to be in Jesus's family line. But this list here in Matthew includes people that you wouldn't want in your family lineage. This list includes deceitful, messed up, broken, flawed people. And apart from those guys, this list also included women and non-Jews. That's something that you would never see included in Jewish genealogy. They would never include that. But you see it included here in Jesus's family tree. You see, the lesson in these first 17 verses for me and you today is that God chooses to use imperfect people to accomplish his perfect plans. Jesus's genealogy, it's littered with human failure. I'm not gonna go through all the names, but I'm gonna go through a few this morning. Right off the bat, Abraham was a liar. Back in that day, if there was a ruler or a king and he saw a beautiful woman but she was married, he would just have the husband killed and then take the woman to be his wife. And so on two different occasions in Genesis 12 to the Pharaoh of Egypt and then Genesis 20 to the king Abimelech, both times, and it says the Bible that Abraham's wife Sarah was very beautiful, but these men saw Sarah, wanted her, and Abraham, to save his own neck, goes, uh, yeah, that's not my wife, that's my sister. And his own wife gets taken twice, he does this. But God uses him still to establish a nation through him. You had Jacob, who was a deceiver. He tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright. He tricked his own father Isaac out of his blessing. The Bible said he wrestled with God and he eventually, meant his, it, it changed him and God changed his name from Jacob, which literally meant deceiver, to Israel, which meant governed by God. You had Judah on this list. He was an adulterer. This is messed up, man. He, he's out one day and he sees this woman who he thinks is a prostitute. So he sleeps with her. But it wasn't a prostitute, it was his daughter-in-law who was disguised to trick her father-in-law, and she ends up becoming pregnant and gives birth to twins through her father-in-law. I mean, this is, mad. this is like Jerry Springer stuff. You had Rahab on this list. She was a Canaanite, an enemy of Israel, and she was a prostitute who ran a brothel in Jericho, but if you remember the story, Joshua sent spies into the city and she helped hide and protect those spies in exchange that her life would be spared whenever Israel came to attack the city. You had Ruth on this list, she was a Moabite, and they were looked down upon. They were considered children of incest, kinda how we would view like the inbred hillbilly kinda people. But they were looked down upon. She was an out, complete outsider. You had David on his roof one day, sees Bathsheba, 
and he lusts and covets another man's wife, so he has her brought to him, he, he sleeps with her, and then he ends up having her husband, Uriah, killed, so he commits murder, and it's that guy that God turns into one of the most prominent figures we see in the Bible. You have Solomon, known as the most the wisest man to ever live and the richest man to ever live. And basically his whole life was spent chasing after pleasure and indulgence like we cannot even fathom. Bible said he had over a thousand wives and concubines. And then he wrote himself at the end of his life that it was all meaningless, just empty. You had Rehoboam who divided the kingdom of Israel and created civil war. You had Jehoram who murdered his six brothers so that they couldn't take the throne from him. You had Manasseh. Under his reign, idol worship just ran rampant to the point where he sacrificed his own son to a false idol. These are the people that God chose to include in Jesus' family tree. I mean, this is a messed up group of people. And these are people that we wouldn't want in our lineage, more or less the lineage of the Son of God. But God chose to include them because God chooses to use imperfect people to accomplish his perfect plans and he would not see his will be done because of these people's righteousness, but in spite of them, in spite of their sinfulness. And guess what? He's still doing that today. One of the biggest examples is standing right here in front of you because I'm not worthy to be standing on this platform. I'm not worthy to, to preach God's holy word. I'm like, I resonate with Paul when he says in 1 Timothy 1.15 that, hey, Christ came to save sinners who I am the worst. Listen, I don't deserve to be here, but God still for some reason chooses to use me and include me in what he is doing. He's still doing that today. And although this list could have discredited Jesus, he didn't let his family define him. God's purpose and God's will defined Jesus. Thy will be done. Church, if you don't hear anything else, if that list of names puts you to sleep, wake up because listen, you need to hear this. You're not defined by your past. You're not defined by your family. You're not defined by the name that you carry. You're not defined by the mistakes you've made in the past because the God that we serve is a God of new beginnings. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. Listen, if you've given your heart and life to Jesus and he's Lord of your life, listen, you are not an addict. You're not an alcoholic. You're not a liar. You're not an adulterer. You're not a slave. You're not a victim. You've, given, you've been given a new start, a new identity, a new name, a new purpose. And you've been given the grace and the strength to overcome any label this world has ever tried to place on you. You were not who you used to be. I want to leave you with this. Your heritage is not as important as your legacy. 
Your heritage is not as important as your legacy. What you inherited is not as important as what you will leave behind. I'll put it another way. Where you started doesn't matter. It's where you end up. And listen, I know the past can be a very powerful and damaging force in a person's life. I don't want to minimize that. Please hear that. But I also know there's people that allow their past to have power over them. I've met people in my life that are just completely paralyzed by something that happened in the past. And what I want to say to them is what Paul says in Philippians 3.13, that forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I've said it before up on this platform that there's some people here today, we need to rip the rearview mirror off our life because all you can do is just sit there and obsess on what's behind you. And some of us need to start looking out the windshield at what's ahead of us at what God is calling us to, not where we've been. Yeah, you know, I said today we're kicking off this Christmas series, Home for Christmas. And I, I can't even remember when, it was a couple years ago, I gave a message around this time of year where I talked about how the holidays make us long for this sense of home. But I said in that message that home is not a physical location. This longing for home that we have in our heart, it's this longing to be known, to be accepted, to be loved, to be forgiven. It's where we find rest. It's where we find family. And that's not found in a place, but it's found in a person. It's found in a savior. It's found in Jesus. And guess what? There's room in his family for me, and there's room in his family for you. See, just like the names that we read of the people that came before Jesus, there's a much larger list of people who have been adopted into Jesus' family. I'm on that list. I hope you are too. Right? Ephesians 1.5 tells us that and we're adopted into sonship through Jesus. We get to be a part of his family. We get to carry his name, and guess what? That name means something. That name matters. That name should change the direction of your life. But much like the names that we just read in Matthew chapter one, listen, the list of names on the of the list I'm on and I hope you're on, it's also full of broken, flawed, sinful people. But God chooses to include us. The list I'm on is still littered with human failure. But God tells us we're not defined by our past. Church, we've been given a new beginning, a new identity and a second chance to leave a legacy that matters and that brings honor to him. Amen.
Let's pray. Father, I just have to humbly thank you that you choose to include us. That God, you choose to use us with all of our shortcomings, God, with all of our brokenness. God, you choose to do it. And I don't know why, but you do. And God, I'm so grateful for it. God, I'm so grateful too that we're not defined by past mistakes, God. That in you, we have a new identity, a new start. And God, I thank you that because of what Jesus, you did on the cross that, God, we can be adopted into your family. We can find our true home in you. And if you're here today and you don't know him as your savior, if you, you haven't been given that new identity, that new name, that new start, you haven't been adopted into his family, and you can do that today. There's room in his family for you. And you don't have to have all your stuff together because like we just talked about, his family is full of broken people. And if you wanna make Jesus the Lord of your life, just pray something like this. Say, God, I believe, Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you're God in the flesh, you lived a perfect life. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again three days later to pay the debt for our sin. And God, I am broken and sinful and I need a savior. And I accept your free gift of salvation and I repent and turn from my old life and make you Lord of my life. And God, I will from this day forward, carry your name and leave a legacy that honors you. Listen, if you prayed that, I just, before you leave here today, let someone know. We're gonna have people up here up front who would love to just pray with you and help you, point you in the right direction to start this new life. God, for those of us who do know you, God, it's not too late. God, our heritage, where we come from, our past is not as important as how we finish. God, it's not as important as the legacy we leave behind. God, I pray that would motivate us. God, in everything, God, we just want to bring you honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.